Welcome back to the Religions of the Ancient Mediterranean podcast. I'm Phil Harland, a prophet at York, and we are continuing with the series Honoring the Gods in the Roman Empire. This series is concerned with looking at what were the worldviews and practices associated with the gods in the Roman Empire, and we're doing so by focusing in on one region, Asia Minor, particularly the cities of Asia Minor, but sometimes we'll delve into the villages and countryside of Asia Minor as well. To get into the mindset of people in the Roman Empire, how did they view the gods? What was their understanding of how the gods interacted with humans? And, I've been arguing in several of the other episodes, people understood the gods to interact in their everyday life. The gods were not remote. The gods were powerful, yes. The gods were very different from human beings. However, they were interactive in human beings' lives. And so we see this today in our discussion of divination. Divination is the term that scholars use to talk about communications from the gods and the interpretation of communications from the gods. Now, people living in the Roman Empire, and especially in places like Asia Minor, believed that the gods would communicate to human beings what they wanted to happen or what was going to happen in a variety of ways. So that natural disasters, for example, could be a way of a god telling a community something or telling a group of people something. So natural phenomena could be interpreted as messages from the gods. So the practice of divination is the means by which you interpret these messages from the gods. But there were a variety of types of divination. In some parts of the empire, for example, you would also examine the entrails, examine the innards of the animals that you sacrificed to the gods and that you would have an expert who would know how to interpret the messages from the gods that could be read in the livers of animals. That's some, somewhat different than the worldview we might have today. So we have to remember we're studying cross-culturally here, and we have to leave room for the fact that people do things quite differently in different cultures than our own. One of the ways in which divination took place is what I'm going to focus on today, and that is oracles. In other words, official proclamations of a god in answer to questions, so that people would go and consult a god about what they should do in a variety of different possible aspects of life, and the god would answer, often in a somewhat ambiguous way, as you'll soon see, but nonetheless god, the god would give advice to the person consulting the god about what to do in a particular case. This could be an aspect of whether or not to marry a particular person, it could be an aspect of a health problem that is happening, and Asclepius isn't the only god you go to for healing. You might consult an oracle about a health problem that you're having, about the difficulty having children, for example. But it could also be whole communities, whole civic communities, consulting a god about what the civic body should do about accepting or rejecting, for example, citizens. Or about having friendly relations with another city-state. So there's a variety of different topics that could be asked and the god would then answer through the functionaries of the temple, would answer that question. Now, there are all kinds of cases of oracles in the Roman Empire, including in Asia Minor, and there's a variety of types. We're only focusing in on one type, and that is oracles of Apollo, and I'm going to be concentrating on two main well-known oracles of Apollo. We use the term oracle to, as a scholar, to refer to the actual sanctuary where you consulted Apollo and where these questions would be asked and the gods would answer through the functionaries. 
So I'm going to concentrate on the site of Didyma. Didyma is nearby Miletus, and it's an important sanctuary of Apollo that was well known as a place to consult Apollo about what to do. But I'll also touch on another main sanctuary of Apollo in Western Asia Minor, and that is the one at Kleros, which is nearby Colophon. We'll use these as an example. Although they're not representative in every respect, they are representative in showing us the worldview that people had, namely, that you can consult the gods and that the gods care and know about the everyday life of people and the life of a city and the life of families, and that you can consult these gods about what to do in the circumstances you're facing. So in this respect, even though we're focusing in on Apollo and we're focusing on very well-known sanctuaries, this idea of consulting the gods because they can tell you things about your everyday life is a commonly held view that holds throughout the Roman Empire to some degree in a variety of ways, but also is characteristic of Asia Minor specifically. Now that you have a general sense of divination as the process of interpreting messages from the gods and oracles, oracular proclamations, as an example of the type of divination, let's go on to talk about Kleros first of all, just briefly, and then move on to Didyma as examples of these oracles, uh, of these ways in which the gods can communicate and interact with humans in their everyday life through these communications. Once again, as with the series as a whole, we're focused on the Roman Imperial period. It's important to recognize, however, there are developments for both the Claro Sanctuary and for the Didyma Sanctuary, and things change over time. However, we're focused primarily on the first couple centuries CE in this discussion. Claros, as I said, was, uh, is on the coast of, western coast of Asia Minor, as is Didyma. Claros is further north of Didyma, and also Claros is north of Ephesus, maybe since you already know about Ephesus a little bit, and you might be able to locate that on a map you have accessible. It's closely associated with the city of Colophon. We don't know quite as much about Claros as we do about Didyma. But we do have about 24 oracles that have survived and that give us an example of Apollo answering the questions that people brought to him at the sanctuary at Claros. First of all, I want to read briefly, though, an uh, ancient historian who briefly mentions the procedure and how one consulted the gods or consulted Apollo, rather, at Kleros, how one consulted Clarion Apollo, as he's called. Tacitus is a Roman historian, as you may know, writes in Latin. He's writing in the early 2nd century, and here he's narrating a time period earlier on in the 1st century, and here he talks about Germanicus being in Asia Minor and what Germanicus saw when he was in Asia Minor. One of the main sanctuaries that is mentioned is the Oracle of Clarion Apollo. And here we have one of the very few surviving descriptions of the sort of procedure that would take place at a temple like Claros and how you would go about consulting the gods there. Here's what he says in the Annals 2.54. There at Colophon, the oracle of Clarion Apollo, it is not a woman as at Delphi, but a priest chosen from certain families, generally from Miletus, who ascertains simply the number and the names of the applicants. Then descending into a cave and drinking a draught from a secret spring, the man who is commonly ignorant of letters and of poetry utters a response in verse, answering to the thoughts conceived in the mind of any inquirer. 
It was said that he prophesied to Germanicus in dark hints, as oracles usually do. Now, we can't, as usual with ancient historians, we can't just take this as straight information. It may be the case that Tacitus is on the tr right track in regard to Claros being different than some other oracles, like the famous oracle at Delphi over in Greece, in the sense that the main uh, person who contacted with Apollo in order to bring the message, the answer back, was a man, not a woman. We'll soon see that at Didyma, it was a woman that was most in touch with Apollo in bringing the message from Apollo through other functionaries to the people who had inquired. Here, what is also unusual at Claros, that is not the characteristic of either Didyma or Delphi, is, if Tacitus is right, that it was not always explicitly stated what the questions were. Instead, the person was told about who the inquirers were and that somehow, miraculously, they found out what was going on in the minds of those inquirers and brought the answer that Apollo had. Now, we can't really figure out the details of that. We do have a couple dozen oracles. Let me give you an example of an oracle from Claros. It happens to be quite a few of them survive regarding a plague that occurred. Now, we know from very uh, many sources that there were plagues that came through Asia Minor and other parts of the Roman Empire in the 160s CE as soldiers returned from some of the wars that were taking place in Parthia. And these soldiers came back bringing with them some sort of plague that devastated the populations of Asia Minor. And so we have several cities, civic community, deciding as a result of these plagues that it was important to go and consult the gods. The gods have caused these plagues to come. We've done something wrong. We've got to go consult Apollo, the god Apollo, at Claros, because Apollo has access to knowledge about what the gods want us to do to ensure that the plagues stop, in order to ensure the continued safety and that our civic community can go on despite the devastation that has happened. And so this was the mentality that leads a whole civic community to actually send an official ambassador to the oracle of Apollo at Claros in order to consult Apollo and find out from the god himself what should we do in light of the bad things that have happened to us. I'll read you one of these inscriptions, at least a portion of it. Here I'm drawing on H.W. Park's The Oracles of Apollo in Asia Minor, which has informed my discussion overall here, but he provides a translation of some of these inscriptions, which I'll be using here. And this is the inscription that, that is the answer to the city of Hierapolis. So the city of Hierapolis, as you may know, is near Colossae and Laodicea, sort of the tri-city area there, further inland from Ephesus in this more central part of Asia Minor there. And Hierapolis uh, here consults the god Apollo about the plague that we've just been mentioning that devastated the city. And here we have uh, an example of what sort of response you would get from Apollo, in this case, the sort of poetic answer that Apollo would give at the Oracle of Apollo at Claros. The portion I'm going to read to you reads as follows. But you are not alone in being injured by the destructive miseries of a deadly plague, but many are the cities and peoples which are grieved at the wrathful displeasures of the gods. As I mentioned earlier, natural disasters were interpreted by people in Roman Asia Minor as 
caused by the gods and as a result of some failure of people or of civic communities or of people in general to honor those gods. And so you consult Apollo to find out why the gods are angry and to also appease the gods and stop the bad stuff from happening. Let me go on with this inscription here. The painful anger of the deities I bid you avoid by libations and feasts and fully accomplished sacrifices. As I've mentioned previously, sacrifices were the pivotal way of honoring the gods in the ancient world generally. And here, no, no surprise that Apollo's answer might involve doing sacrifices. He continues here about these libations, feasts, and sacrifices. Firstly, firstly, then, to earth, the mother of all, bring a cow from the herd into her hall of four measures, and sacrifice it with sweet-smelling incense, and then ravage it with fire. And when the flame has consumed it all, then sprinkle around with libations and a mixture of honey and soil altogether. Secondly, sacrifice an unfeasted offering to the ether and to the gods of the heavens, all sweet-smelling with incense. To Demeter, as your custom is, and to the gods of the underworld perform rites with victims free from pollution, and to the heroes in the ground pour drink offerings in accordance with the precepts, and continually be mindful of Apollo, for you are descended from me in family and from Mopsos and the city's patron. Also around all your city gates consecrate precincts for a holy statue of the Clarion Phoebus, Apollo, equipped with his bow, which destroys diseases, as though shooting with his arrows from afar at the infer unfertile plague. So here the idea is set up a statue of Apollo in the form of an archer, who will then get with his arrows the plague. A sort of symbolic statement of Apollo, the god protecting the community. It continues like this. Moreover, when after you have wrought appeasement and the evil powers have departed, I instruct your boys with maidenly musicians to come together to Colophon, the city near Claros, accompanied by libations and hecatombs in willing spirit. For indeed often I have saved you, but I have not received a share of fat to gladden my heart. Yet it is right not even to be forgetful of men who have done your, you benefit. If you perform what is seemly for God-fearing men to accomplish, never will you be in painful confusions, but with more wealth and better safety, the rest of the inscription is missing. But you're getting the idea here. Not only are sacrifices advised by Apollo, and not only does Apollo suggest that a, a, a statue of himself be set up, but also he suggests that the civic community of Hierapolis pay for singers to come and praise Apollo at Colophon, the nearby city, the city nearby Claros. So the ambassadors from Hierapolis civic community have come quite far here to the western coast of Asia Minor to consult Apollo and to get this answer as to what to do. Let me say a few words now about Didyma, the other important sanctuary of Apollo that was very well known, at least in Asia Minor, as a place to go and consult the god Apollo about various aspects of life. The sanctuary of Didyma has actually been well excavated and we have a, an idea of the structure. You can take a look at this uh, photo, in fact a 360 degree photo is available at Metis. Open up your Google search engine there, type in Didyma, D-I-D 
Y-M-A, and Metis, M-E-T-I-S, and the page should be the first hit you get there. You will find this site that has various ancient sites that you can see photos 360 degrees and, and actually look right around. And in this case, you have several photos of the sanctuary of Didyma that you can take a look at. I should mention, first of all, the size of the sanctuary is very impressive. As Sarah Ills Johnston points out in her book on ancient Greek divination, which is informing some of my discussion here, the Temple of Didyma was perhaps the third largest temple in the Greek world at the time, with the Artemis Temple being larger than it that we mentioned in the previous episodes. So this is a very impressive sanctuary, very large columns. You would enter into this sanctuary area by going in the front portion of the sanctuary where there was a whole set of columns that were massive columns and you would approach this pronaos you would come into this fore temple and come up to a doorway but the doorway was not accessible for you it was actually so that if you walked up to the doorway the base of the door would be at about your head level this seems to have been the place where you consulted the functionaries of the temple who then went in to find out the answer of Apollo for you. So those functionaries, which included a prophet, would then take the questions that were asked back into the sanctuary proper. So they went downstairs into the inner court and there was a temple for within that inner court of the sanctuary. And that seems to have been the place that the prophetess would miraculously engage in contact with Apollo and find out the answers to the questions that had been asked. Miraculously, we should say, um, receive the message from Apollo that then would be given to the people who had consulted at the front door there. So people didn't just freely walk into the sanctuary here, it doesn't seem. It was structured quite clearly architecturally so that the people consulting the god could come to a certain level uh, within the sanctuary but no further and that the priestess was in the innermost sanctum this most sacred area uh, where the sacred spring was so sometimes objects and materials like water were considered to facilitate the way in which a god could communicate with very specially chosen humans in this case to communicate with the prophetess. We do not have many uh, descriptions of what happened here at the uh, sanctuary of uh, Didyma. As I mentioned to you already, there was a mantis, a, a prophetess, that was the main person who communicated with, with the god Apollo. There was a prophet who was a functionary in the sanctuary who probably communicated between the prophetess, between the prophetess and the people who had come to consult. We also know there were some treasurers at the uh, Didyma Sanctuary. So these functionaries would be involved in the procedure that happened. Much of my discussion here has been informed by Sarah Ills Johnston's work on ancient Greek divination. In the discussion she does touch on a few of the sources that do describe, but somewhat vaguely, the procedure that took place at Didyma. The difficulty here is that these sources are quite late but here we have a source by Iamblichus. Iamblichus is quite a late source. We're talking in the third century CE. And he's talking about various cultic activities 
for reasons other than just describing the procedures and rituals that took place in honor of the gods. Instead, he's engaged in platonic, sort of philosophical allegory in his interpretation of various things. And so for this reason, it's difficult to use him as information for straight history. Even historians are difficult to use for straight history, as I've already mentioned to you when you're looking in the ancient world. But here in this source, in Mysteries section 3.11, he describes what he says happens at Didyma. He says that the mantis, the prophetess, either is filled with divine radiance when she holds the staff that Apollo has given to her, or she foretells the future when she sits on an axle, whatever that is, or she receives the god when she dips her feet or her skirt into water, or when she is affected by vapors from the water. But in any case, having been prepared and made fit by all these things for the reception of the god from outside, she partakes of the god. So here we have, as I said, a rather vague description of a variety of different techniques that may have been used by the prophetess in connection with the rituals she herself would do in order to prepare herself for receiving the message from Apollo that then would be written down in the sanctuary. So it seems like at Didyma, but not all oracles, that there was an official office, so to speak, within the sanctuary that was responsible for having them written down. The answers from the questions and the answers from the God were written down directly within the sanctuary itself. Now, obviously, sometimes the people who receive the answer, in this case, a written answer from Apollo, but even in cases where it was a poetically uh, performed answer from Apollo, some people would then have the uh, answer from the God inscribed in a monument. Thankfully for us, they sometimes did this because this is what, what our main source is for understanding the sort of questions and answers that go on at these sanctuaries, including that inscription we looked at for Claros, but also at Didyma, there's even more than a couple dozen. And quite a few of these are inscribed on monuments. A few of them are mentioned in literary sources. Now, not all forms of consulting the gods and not all forms of the gods communicating with humans required functionaries. We've already learned that. So do not start to believe that you always have to go to a temple to talk to or communicate or have the gods communicate with you. Let me read you a few examples of the oracles of Apollo at Didyma just to close here and give you a sense of what was often involved. Now, there are a variety of different topics that could be the basis of the question that the inquirer would bring. We know, for example, among the surviving historical inscriptions from Didyma, that quite a few questions from the civic community of Miletus were put forward to Apollo. And these involve things like, should we accept as citizens of Miletus these foreigners? And quite often, Apollo's answer is, yes, you should. You could say you have quite a few examples of civic political questions being put to Apollo at Didyma. You also have broader political questions. We also have other instances of this more external civic relations or external politics going on. And the Milesians consult Apollo at Didyma about whether or not they should make a treaty with another city-state. So we have the sort of political questions going on. Another key topic to ask Apollo about is about honoring the gods not surprisingly. So quite a few of the questions we have, that inquirers have, have to do with 
should we set up a cult for this particular deity? And it's not usually for Apollo, it's for other gods that they're consulting Apollo about whether they should honor Demeter in a particular way, for example. What sort of procedures and sacrifices and festivals should we have in honor of these particular gods? And then Apollo would give an answer. There are also a few examples of, not groups, but of individuals, a very few examples of individuals consulting Apollo. Again, the cultic issue often comes into it. Let me finish off here with a few examples of these oracles. These are translated by uh, Joseph Fontenrose in his book on Didyma, which has also informed much of my discussion here. Uh, another source I've been using is Park's work on oracles of uh, Apollo in Asia Minor, and also Park's work on the Didyma architecture itself, and the uh, excavations on the Didyma sanctuary. But here I'm reading a few of Fontenrose's translations of inscriptions. And not all of the surviving oracles have been fully preserved, obviously. Sometimes we don't even know what the question was, so we don't know what the issue was. We only get the answer. Sometimes it's even partial answers that we have on the inscriptions. Here's a very basic one that I wanted to start with, though, just to illustrate the down-to-earth questions you might ask that relate to honoring the gods. Here we have a question that you might think you wouldn't need to ask the gods about, but nonetheless, Karpos, in about 130 CE, consults the god Apollo. Karpos asks whether it is pleasing to give a vow to Serapis. The god replied, Immortals rejoice in benevolent honors of mortal men. Here we have a very basic statement of the worldview that we've been learning overall in the course, namely, that the gods rejoice at the honors from human beings. And here, simply, Carpos uh, finding out and confirming that his vow to Serapis should be fulfilled, and Apollo confirming that. Remember that vows are promises you make to the god, in order that if the god does something for you, in this case, if Serapis does something for you, you will set up or do these things in honor of Serapis. And here, Apollo confirming, yes, Serapis will really like this. Go ahead with it. Here is another oracle, this one involving a group, a group of architects or builders that are active in working on the theater at nearby Miletus. It seems that something had happened. Perhaps someone got injured, perhaps part of the structure they were building fell, but whatever the case is, something bad happened the builders that were involved and the architects involved in renovating the theater at Miletus then said, oh, we better go and consult the gods about this. Let's go ask Apollo at the Oracle at Didyma about what we should do in light of what has just happened. So we don't know the details of what happened, but we know something bad happened. Their question goes as follows. Shall Epigonus and the builders contractors for the part of the theater of which the superintendent is the god's prophet, the late Opionus, whose employer is the architect Monophilus, undertake the placing of the arches and vaulting and carry it through, or should they consider another task? The god replied, It is advantageous to you, praying to Pallas Tritogenaia, to Athena, and to valiant Heracles, with sacrifices to make use of the building skills and the counsels of an able and excellent man. So once again you have the somewhat ambiguous answer of Apollo, but 
definitely tending towards the positive answer, continue working on the theater. What you'll notice if you look through consistently through many of the oracles, the answers you get from the god Apollo are usually positive answers. Yes, you should do what you think, you, what you're asking about. Yes, you should take the action you are considering doing. So that it seems that there's always, uh, almost always confirmation to some degree that the person who's consulting the oracle is on the right track and should continue doing what they're doing. You'll notice that as an ongoing theme. Also, the ambiguity is an ongoing element in the oracles, so that the answer of Apollo would need to be ambiguous enough so that it would seem he was always right, as you can imagine. Let me read one more inscription just to give you an example of a consultation, in this case, about cultic activities and about appearances of the gods. So, as we've already learned to some degree, the gods were understood to interact with humans in everyday life. In this case, Gods might appear in various ways and communicate in various ways, that divination that we've been talking about, and communicate their messages in various ways, including sometimes appearing themselves in a variety of ways. And this inscription, this oracle, has to do with a series of epiphanies that had taken place. In other words, incidents that were interpreted by people as the gods appearing repeatedly. And so there was a feeling that you needed to consult the god Apollo about whether this is a good sign or whether this is a bad sign. What do these appearances of the gods in a variety of ways mean? And that's what we have here. And it involves a priestess named Alexandra. She's a priestess of Demeter, the goddess Demeter, Thesmophoros, the, the law-bearer uh, form of Demeter. Demeter is a very important goddess that we'll come to later on in the course when we talk about mysteries as well. There were important mystery initiations in honor of Demeter and her daughter Kore. So here we have uh, the inscription. To good fortune, the priestess of Thesmophoros Demeter, Alexandra asks, since from the time when she assumed the office of priestess, never have the gods been so manifest through their appearances, partly through maidens and women, partly also through men and children. Why is this so? And is it auspicious? Is it a good sign? The god replied, Immortals accompany mortal men and make their will known and the honor which... The rest of the inscriptions is lost. But what's interesting in this particular inscription is what led to the question, what led this priestess of Demeter on behalf of the worshippers of Demeter in whatever temple she was active in and whatever association she was active in, what led them to ask the god Apollo the question was a series of what they considered miraculous events, which suggested the appearance of the gods to human beings in their everyday lives, something that we're learning very much in this course. So I hope you've gotten a little bit of a sense of what is involved in oracles in antiquity. And remember that oracles are an example of divination, the communications from the gods and interpretation of those communications from the gods and that divination took a variety of forms in, the Ro in places like Roman Asia Minor, including oracles, but not limited to them. But I also hope you've learned from this particular episode the way in which the gods were once again understood to be involved in the everyday lives of communities, that the groups of human beings and the gods are constantly in interaction with one another in the cities of Roman Asia Minor in the mindset of the participants. 
I hope you'll come again next episode. We'll be getting more of a glimpse into the way in which the gods interact in everyday life. In this case, we're going to look at uh, regional practices within Phrygia and Lydia and neighboring regions within Asia Minor. And we're going to delve into what are known as the Confession Inscriptions. These inscriptions, we'll soon learn, provide even more solid evidence of the ways in which the gods interact in everyday human activities. In this case, the gods bring justice. The gods sometimes bring punishment when human beings sin, so to speak. When human beings transgress what the gods want them to do, the gods will actively intervene and sometimes kill you. I hope you'll come again. Don't be too afraid.